It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I am one of the co-hosts of the Locked On Pacers podcast. And joining me on the other line, the man who got the interview, Mr. Tony East. How are you doing, Tony? Uh, I'm good. I wouldn't say I'm the man who got the interview, but I did. Yeah. yeah, if you guys don't know what I'm referring to, you should go listen to this podcast after this one. We had one from yesterday. Uh, Tony interviewed Nate Duncan. It was a great podcast. It was about 35, 36 minutes long, so not super long, but really good. Some really good good insights. And also it's going to help push us to, we think we're going to hit 10,000 monthly downloads for this month. So that's pretty cool. We're excited about that too. So thanks everybody. We to thank for that. Yeah. Biggest month in Lockdown Pacers history. We couldn't do it without you guys. Thank you so much. Yep. And next month we're going to hit 20,000. That's our goal. No, uh, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, moving on to some basketball stuff. So you missed it yesterday. You recorded probably, I'm guessing at one or two because you told me. We blew and it. Blake Griffin was traded like two hours later. Maybe I, I don't remember the exact time. And so now he's in. The Pacers division. So does that change anything for the Pacers outlook? Probably not, but does it change anything? Um, so the I, I completely forgot about this today too. And I was talking about the trade at practice, but they don't play the Pistons anymore this year. So, you know, they don't have to worry about that whole Blake. Like they'll never play Blake Griffin this year. They haven't even played the Clippers yet either. So that's kind of a bummer. They never get to play Blake Griffin, but um, yeah, he's in the division now, and the Pistons, who I think they've lost eight in a row, and they played a night on TNT against the Cavs, so you'll know if they've lost nine in a row or won their game, but he's not playing. But anyway, uh, it does strengthen a divisional foe significantly both this year and next year, and that stinks next year because they're going to be good, and they already seem to have the Pacers number, although two of the players that did really well against the team are gone. Um, but it does make them better the rest of this year, and they are – you know, I would say they're in the tier with the Pacers, but they seem to have fallen a little bit behind them. But uh, it'll it'll make it harder for the Pacers to make the playoffs next year, possibly. Yeah, the Pistons, I think, are actually almost out of the playoff race. I mean, this was a desperation trade to get back into it, basically. But 
like you said, I do agree. Blake Griffin being in the division just makes it harder the next couple of years. The Pistons were owning them this year. Thank God for this weird schedule where he played them four times before, I think, like even the first week of January. So that was weird. But that worked out for the, the Pacers. Why they have to play Blake again this year. But it well, makes them makes them better, which is which stinks. But I don't know how much better it makes them. I don't know if it's like moves the needle to like some crazy extent for the Pistons. Like they're probably marginally better overall. I think they're better this year and next year, but eventually his his money will catch up to his value and hit, and they'll have trouble building around him. But the biggest thing from the Pacers standpoint to me is is two things. One, Tobias Harris just killed them every single time they played. That first time, especially when they, you know, in Detroit when the Pacers were pretty hot too. Uh, the, he he went off. He had like 30, and it was his best three-point shooting game of the year. And then Bradley was great on depot because he's a great on-ball defender. So without those two guys and a first-round pick, you know, maybe they're just a different – like maybe the style of play is different when they play the Pacers, and that could kind of play into their hand. But they have Blake Griffin, who's super good. Yeah, and that also leaves open the possibility that Pacers could go after Avery Bradley maybe in free agency. Probably mm-hmm. not traded, but we'll talk about that later. But that was kind of one of – I think – you so disappointing. We talked talk about, about it. it, and then he already got traded. I was like, dang yeah. it, content. But, but it, it does leave open the possibility that Bradley could be an re- unrestricted free agent where no the, no team will resign him. You know, you were thinking that the Pacers would resign him right away, so they might not. But I also want to move on to one more thing before we recap the Hornets game and deal with that is the Pacers are only two and a half games back of the three seed right now. Now, I know, you know, they may not get the three seed. That might be unrealistic, but the fact that they're – I think between three and seven right now are within a game and a half, two games and a half is crazy. And I was doing a little math and I was looking at the last 31 games of Pacers play 16 of them. They like should win. They're against teams that they should beat. And then they have like these 15 toss ups where they play the Wizards who could be without John Wall. They play the Pelicans once who were without Boogie. They play the Bucks, Toronto teams where they in Philly, they have a shot of beating. So I was wanted to get your opinion. Do, do you really, I think they could get to, 47 wins on the high end is that enough to get to the four or five seed uh so i think it's reasonable to think especially now with john wall out for two months that they can easily pass the wizards right and the sixers are just stuck in the in that spot right behind them and the sixers could definitely get hot we'll talk about them later uh at any point and catch up but assuming that they're already at six so the only two teams that they'd really have to catch to get to that five or four range is the bucks who they are literally tied with right now and the Heat, who are on fire, and, uh, you know, if the Heat don't regress, it'll be hard to catch them. But if the Heat regress a little bit, it's not ridiculous for them to catch the Heat either. So I don't think they'll catch the Cavs because they have LeBron, <laughs> and they're probably going to make a move at the deadline. So they'll get better. So I think the top three are pretty cleanly cemented. But they could easily catch, you know, the three teams immediately ahead of them, uh, the Wizards, Bucks, and Heat, pretty pretty easily. So my only thing with the Cavs is if they bring in like let's say they just completely just tear up the roster, bring in like three or four players, which some people are projecting, that could really kind of throw the Cavs' chemistry off, which means they could falter a little bit and the Pacers own the tiebreaker, which is, and I thought <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't matter, but it might matter. But it might <laughs> it might matter, which is just something to look look towards because, I mean, forty seven wins might get might get the the three seed. I mean, I think Boston and Toronto are so far ahead it doesn't matter, but you know. As the Pacers come to the end of the season, too, they play Golden State twice in the last like two weeks. So Golden State might also have locked everything up, and they might not be really playing their starters, depending on if they're on some kind of West Coast or East Coast road trip. That's something to look at, too. So, you know, there's a chance in the last 31 games they could win like 20 of them, and that would put them at 48 wins, which might be enough to get the, the three seed. I think last year the top two seeds were at 50 and like 52, and then it was 49 was, was the Wizards of Raptors last year. So 48 well, might be enough. 
Right. And, and, and but it does add some emphasis on some games the rest of the year. They they play the Bucks two more times, right? So they home and away, thankfully. So if they can win in Milwaukee, then that home game they play sorry, they play March second and March fifth, and they're away the first time. So if they win in Milwaukee, suddenly that other one becomes, you know, clinching the tiebreaker at home, which would be massive. And then they play the Wizards three times in the next two months. That's the whole season series, and they might be without Wall for all those. So they can win that tiebreaker too. So you know, reasonable to think they could do well in that tiebreaker. Although the Heat, I believe they're done playing, and they lost that season series two to one. So that could be yeah. a little more challenging. But you know, getting over the no, they do play the Heat one more time. That's a big game. Um, but yeah, it's going to be you know those tiebreakers are going to matter. You know, they're three way tie right now with fifty games in. Yeah. So just I'm going to look look towards. I don't I don't know if they'll get up there. For all we know, they'll probably be the eight seed. But I just think they're within they're within range. You know, we haven't seen a Pacers team above a seven seed. Actually, knowing their luck, they'll be locked in at the seven seed once again. But who knows? I uh, actually would probably rather be the seven seed than the six seed to play the Cavs in the first round. But yeah, I was gonna say I just don't want to play the Cavs because then I could think, I could actually see them winning a game or two. Yeah, and just looking even further, I mean, I don't think if the Cavs aren't gonna be like the team they've been in the past three years, it's not like Boston or Toronto are like so far ahead of the Pacers that they are gonna that they could not conceivably win two or three games in a series. I mean, oh for you know, sure, like. They played Toronto pretty tough the two times they, they played Toronto. them so far. Yeah. They should have beat Boston one of the times they played them already. So, you know, I, I don't think Boston and Toronto are as far ahead as maybe the Cavs were over last year's Pacers team. You know, the difference between the the Celtics right now and the Pacers right now is a smaller gap than the Cavs last year and the Pacers last year. So, Right, a- and, play, and playoff LeBron is the best player in the league. So, Yeah, <laughs> and if you can avoid LeBron for even two ser- two rounds, I mean, they're not going to make the East Finals, but they could win a series if they get to the to the 4-5 range. I think they could easily win a series, which would be huge for these guys because it's just it's how you kind of build your way to becoming a contender is winning round after round, like winning, progressing each year by one more round. And I mean, they have a lot of guys who have played in the playoffs before too. I mean, almost, I mean, Domas and Vic got experience last year playing in it. Turner's had two years playing. Young's had a year playing. I mean, they, they're not like super inexperienced as you would think for a team that kind of was all put together this year. Exactly. They have the playoff experience. So this is a big year. It's the culmination of, of the start of the, the playoff runs that they'll have hopefully for the next long time. Yeah. So, well, I'll tell you a team that's not making the playoff, Tony, it's going to be the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> so that's my transition to the Pacers 105 96 win against the Hornets on Monday night. Uh, we did not do a recap of it on Tuesday because Tony obviously interviewed Nate Duncan, listen to that podcast. Third time I'm promoting it now. Um, but uh, it was probably Miles Turner's most dominant game. He had 22 points. That was really impressive from him. He basically, Dwight Howard wouldn't guard him, it seemed like, at times. So Turner just stretched at the floor really well and was killing him all night. Um, besides that, you know, it wasn't a great three-point shooting game, but they shot 64% from two-point field goal range. So that was that was pretty impressive. 54%, right? No, 54% from the field, 64% oh, from two. I yeah. did the math. Yes, I did. thank you for that. Because I was trying to figure out, like, wow, they didn't really shoot that well from three, but they want they seemed to dominate the game or towards the end at least and score. You know, they were, were uh, they had like a pretty good physical percentage. So, thank they you. Well, you were right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, but basically, the game was tight for three quarters, and the Pacers kind of cruised at the end to pull away. You know, we'll see the Horns again on Friday. So, there's not much to talk about this game, but anything pop for you? Sensational defense in the fourth quarter on the backs of that. Uh... I believe it was Joseph Oladipo, Lance Turner, and Thad lineup. It was great, um, and that's the that's the guys they want in for those defensive groups. And Dan Burke talked about that today. How that group is what they want in that scenario. Uh, Lance was doing a nice job on Batum, who was really hot in the first three quarters. 
Kemba just had like a game, just a meh game for him. You know, 23 points sounds like a lot, but he shot under 50% from the field. Uh, Miles was able to contain Dwight a little bit, which also Oladipo was able to do. We have to talk about that block. It was nasty. And uh, once Marvin Williams went down too, they they kind of had to shift their lineups a bit too. So they, they were just they had no chance of scoring against that lineup in the fourth quarter, and that's what really put it away because they didn't score that well in the fourth. They only scored 24 points, so it uh, propelled them to the win. Yeah, they held the Hornets to 18, so that was yeah. really good. Uh, it was another game where they were, again, evenly distributed scoring. Um, you know, you had two guys in 20 points. You had four other guys in double figures. But my favorite thing from the game, to be honest, I asked you to ask a question about this at the at the practice today was the way Miles Turner almost set up Oladipo to block Howard. Um, yeah. <laughs> it seemed almost like I, I think I've seen the play before where either Depot must have some kind of sense of how Miles is going to guard and he kind of like, he kind of waits for it and to anticipate anticipates like going up for a block, but it seemed like almost the way Turner played Howard, he was going to let Howard spin on him to the to the right, and Depot came right around and swatted. And I just thought I don't know if it's like something that just Depot was instinctually doing, or some kind of like kind of thing they have going on, or I don't know what it was, but it just seemed like it was really cool. And I feel like I've seen that before too. I mean, like it's hard for me to imagine it because Oladipo is so athletic, but like. Picture it for this. So I'm a six foot tall person, listeners. Like I could never ever block a six foot eight person. And Oladipo six four and Dwight Howard is seven feet tall. Like that is insane. Yeah, Howard didn't get off the ground very high, so that's that's the the negative is. But uh, I believe it was a game earlier this year where Depot actually said something about how he wanted to catch Turner in blocks. Like they were making some <laughs> joke. He's like, well. We still have 60 games after whatever it was at that point, so I can catch Turner and block, which obviously he's not going to. But it, Depot, we've seen it. I mean, he, he does get a few blocks. I think uh, he's second set, on the team in blocks. I think he has set a record actually for 40 straight games or a current active streak, longest active streak with 40 straight games of an assist or not assist, a steal or block. One, uh. one of those in every game. So he, he, his defense, I think, is now being properly rated. But at one point, I think even on this podcast, we unrated how good of a shooting guard like a guard defender he is because they're of the best shooting guards in the NBA right now they're, not a lot of them are top level defenders outside of Clay Thompson like DeMar Rosen isn't a great defender Kyrie's an okay defender but Depot is far and ahead maybe one of the best defensive guards in the Eastern Conference yeah maybe the best, second best sh- shot blocking I said that too fast second best shot blocking guard in the league behind John Wall who's now injured so he's first for the next two months but uh it's it's, it's really impressive the way he's able to do that and he's you know pretty above average on ball defender and a slightly above average off ball defender. And it culminates to him being a really good defender. And because he's so good on offense, you know, it all flows together so well. He pushed in transition with the speed. It's all, it's all been great. And he, he's really good at sort of playing uh, like a center fielder type position where he lags off his defenders. They put him on like a, a guy that you just kind of like hide him on almost where he kind of just kind of roams around and makes plays, you know, closing lanes with his hands and stealing the ball, things like that. Um, you, you told me before the show that basically everybody at today's media day was saying how they're going to write a story about the Pacers defense. So they've had a great defense oh, month. I think they're ruined rating- it. <laughs> oh, we did it later. You, they, they have 103 defensive rating this month, which is impressive. It's their best month by far. I mean, we're talking like they were 108 a couple of months. I think they were 108 in November and they were 106 in December. So, and I'm adding in October to the November month. They, but- if they beat the Grizzlies game that we about, are about to preview, they'll go 10 and 5 in the month thanks to that defense. Yeah. So, and, I believe the first was it the first game or the first two games where Depot didn't play. I think yeah. it was just maybe the first one. It was the first yeah. one, yeah. So basically, since he's been in the lineup, they're ten and four, which is you know I know they, they haven't played like a you know the world beater schedule, but they did play the Cavs once I think in that stretch and they beat them. So and they went on a West Coast road swing too. So you know that going ten and four over the last 
whatever 14 games would be is just impressive in itself. Exactly. Yeah, they've been awesome on that end of the floor. This everyone really has been has been gelling, and I feel like almost everybody's punching above their weight that I would have expected. Like besides Turner, I think everyone's playing better on that end than I would have expected them to before the year. Yeah, and, and Lance. Lance has been as good as I thought he'd be. So we're gonna transition a little bit because there's one player who's not punching his weight right now, and you know who I'm gonna say <laughs> on and offense. He, though he's on offense. Yes, he has been. <laughs> Oh, he's been terrible. He was terrible, at least against the Hornets. He was. He took three he shots. Uh, he had zero points. Um, that's Bojan Bogdanovic. So I, I want to ask you something. If Who do you think has the higher field goal percentage right now, Lance or Bojan? I literally have it in front of me. <laughs> oh, well, no, let's put it this way. Over the last 30 games. Sorry, I I, I said uh, I was going to say, well, I have the answer in front of me. Over the I last 30 games. That with, Lance is 12th on the team in field goal percentage. So I'll throw it at since since yeah, Lance is probably so Lance is forty four percent from the field and Bojan is forty two. Then you go to three point because that's kind of where Bojan makes his bread and butter. Bojan is thirty one percent. Lance is like thirty percent. So what I'm trying to say is right now there okay. isn't much distinguishing the two of them except Lance is a better defender. Yeah, and he creates more opportunity on offense with his more to pass the ball. So I I'm not advocating for Lance to be in the lineup. Because we let's let's hit it. First of all, Lance fits better with the bench guys. He's the playmaking guy you need off the bench. He fits his, well with Joseph. His style is like to a T sixth man, like a high energy creator. Yeah, and he's perfect with, with Joseph. And when they need to, they can they can play the lineup like you said with the great defense with with Depot, Joseph, uh, Stevenson, Young, and Turner. They can they can bring they can play Stevenson the last the whole fourth quarter at times too. So. That's fine. I'm just advocating that maybe Lance start playing like more like 30 minutes a game where Bojan's been playing, and Bojan start playing more like 25 a game. Is all I'm saying because Bojan has been so bad. He provides enough space when you start the game, but he is just if he can't hit buckets, he's become such a liability. And I imagine teams will stop guarding him. Basically, not a liability. So, he was still a plus six last night. He's just the teams got figured out the sets that they got him so open early in the year, and they've really shut him down. Like he, that's why he only took three shots. They just weren't there at all and when he's not you know making shots his value on offense is just like he has to cut and stretch the floor and his cuts the so early in the possession that it looks like he just stands there the whole time a lot and you know his value is definitely dwindling when the shot's not falling at all but teams have really 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 shut him down so i think plus minus is kind of a bad stat to say for him because he plays with the best players more than lance does a little bit so that's why he has a better plus minus Lance had a better plus minus than him. <laughs> Not well, last night, but I'm thinking. I'm looking at the last 30 game stats. Lance has a little, as like I think he's a minus point one, and Bojan's a plus point four. So I mean, it's not that much different. But oh yeah, it's the same basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's half a point here, so it's not yeah. a big deal. But I do wonder if, if teams start kind of not let's say not guarding him, but sort of when Depot has the ball, starting to sort of shag off Bojan to double team Depot. Whether that actually helps Bojan because he gets more open threes. Because I think he is still a really good like knockdown open shooter where if he's wide open, he's probably going to hit his three point shot, but he's, but he's pretty easy to guard. If you're just kind of like half guarding him almost, he's not very quick. He doesn't, you know what I mean? He doesn't add like he, he early in the season was getting to the rim a lot and kind of making plays in the lane. And now he's not really doing that. So I don't know how his fix is. Maybe they keep writing. Eventually he hits it again, but it's worrisome. And with Glenn Robinson coming back, you know, his, his time might be dwindling as a pacer. Well, generally, generally, the first thing that happens on a Pacers possession when the ball's like coming across the court is someone screens for Bogdanovich, right? Because it makes people scramble and it gets the defense moving right before you start your action, or he like cuts under the rim or something like that. 
and it's the very first thing that happens and teams just know it now and it, it, it doesn't do anything anymore it just like makes like they trot in a position they know it's coming they shut it down and then they're on the play so it's really hard for him to be effective when the thing he does almost every possession literally does nothing anymore yeah and maybe it's as simple like i said as just he starts getting guarded even by like worst by either the worst like the worst basically wing or guard defender they like maybe they start hiding guards on him like for example the hornets maybe they hide Kem- kemba on him on on friday but then that might actually help him because he'll get better looks and well and we were surprised both surprised during the year that he was pretty good finishing at the rim but he hasn't had those opportunities as much either so if kemba was on him i'd hope they'd go for something like that i mean i would think you'd almost just try to to run him open on the corners with kemba you can set picks on kemba all day using off ball screens on kemba because he's not very big all day but i don't know what the fix is i think you know you said that mcmillan isn't going to make any changes yet he doesn't i don't think he should but I'm just saying Lance is playing a lot, is starting to play like significantly you know, better. <laughs> significantly better. And like like, you know, we you may not like Lance that much of his antics, whatever it is, but he's playing like a quality bench guy. Like he's playing yeah. as well as any other the bench guys. I think, you know, Domas has been starting, so it's different. But like Lance in the position he's in right now is playing incredibly well. And I think they have to just kind of, you know, you can get more out of Lance, let's put it that way. You can get more than 25 minutes a game out of Lance. You can get 30 minutes a game out of him because he you know what I mean? He's just a high energy kind of guy. And honestly, you're not really worried about his future because you're just trying to write him as much as you can right now. And what I miss with Lance, like when I look over stats and I get frustrated with his turnovers and stuff is like, he makes a flashy play every game. And that's almost like a clutch basket in a way. Cause it changes momentum. And like, there's like an aura of the game that is unquantifiable. Basically that, that Lance affects every time he does something like he did against the Hornets where he swims his hands in the air and then reads the defense and gets TJ leaf and open dunk, you know, things like that. Just like, it looks like an assist on the Glock score, but it's way more than that. And he also distracts at some point sometimes. So like <laughs> when he's on the floor, because he does all this antics, the players are more focused on him and they keep can kind of like almost under the radar, you know, slip through screens and get easy bat blasts sometimes because it's just teams are like they're like just stuck watching him in some sense where then depot just kind of like oh i can run to the hoop and get a make a cut to the rim and get a pass from stevenson pretty easily or something like that so he does a lot of good and i think as long as you're playing at the end of games which basically they've been doing for a while so they're they're going to be fine with that but yeah they're I, closing with him which is which is the first step of a lineup change truly if you want to think about it but someone did ask them about or nate about bogdanovich's rust and they said, you know, we've thought about a lineup change, but we're just not going to do it because the starters play well together, even with him, because of what he offered. He didn't say this, but I'm assuming it's because the starters play well because of the spacing and what he offers. And even if he's struggling, you know, if you don't ride him out, hey, that, that shows no trust. And maybe he never gets the shot back. But by the time by the time they figure it out, Glenn will be back, and it'll it'll all it'll all be okay. <laughs> yeah. So you said there's going to be no lineup change. So I thought a good tidbit from your pockets with Nate Duncan was that he said. DeMontis Sabonis fits the Pacers better for today with what they're trying they're trying to win today. But long term, Turner is a better player, and that's why or Turner could be the better player. That's why he should start. I thought that was an interesting quote because it kind of it's what Pacers fans have been thinking basically. It's that Domas fits better with the starters right now at this moment because Turner is still a little bit doesn't quite have the passing ability of Domas and the ability to finish around the rim that Domas has. But you can't bench Turner because long term you want him to be the future of your franchise. So. You know, that's something to talk about, too, because I think I think people are going to start saying if Turner, you know, he dominated the bench unit, basically, against the Hornets. I don't know if he's going to start Wednesday. You were iffy on that. He probably will. Uh, but I think, I know he, will, he will. He will be. But I'm wondering if they should start staggering 
almost and start bringing in Domas with like eight minutes to go in the first quarter and let Turner play with the bench unit more than Domas because Turner can feast on backup centers if they don't play him play up on him. Yeah, and then you have you know two different play styles going against the other team starting center for them to have to deal with. And I'm sure they've thought about that something like that too. They kind of did it in the fourth quarter of that Hornets game because you know Miles closed the game and he was awesome on Dwight. Yeah, and you we talked about before the show even when we were doing our prep was that the Pacers have so many guys who do so many like each do something different well that it, it just makes them at any moment they could sort of move. It's like almost like a chessboard. They can move the pieces around to make something fit at times. So like, you know, Turner's better at stretching the floor and has got a good jump shot. Don't want to better on the rim. Then you've got Thad Young throwing there. And then you've got also off the bench, the things that different things that Corey Joseph does than Darren Collins. And it just, it makes this team really hard to defend constantly because they're constantly switching who plays with who and each guy does something different. So then you have to, the team has to, other team has to counter that on defense and it makes it really hard to play them. Exactly. And Nate, that is probably Nate's best skill to me as a coach is he's good at getting the right lineup on the court and he knows how to run the sets that, you know, cater to who the, the players are that are on the court at that time. And I, I'll give him a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, we give him get frustrated by a sub pattern sometimes, but you know, what w- the guys that are on the court usually have a rhyme or reason to it and they fit well together. And he, he has good, been good about that this year, especially. Yeah. And they don't have any copycat players at times too. And he does a really good job of none of these players really care if they finish the game. So he will ride somebody like if Stevenson is playing well at the fourth, he will just keep playing Stevenson until he feels that he can't go anymore. And he'll let him play the whole fourth quarter sometimes. Did the same thing with Domas at times. I mean, it, it just kind of depends. I mean, we see a lot of like Corey Joseph finishing games that have Collison with Collison starts. So I, I do think that's under, like you were saying, it's underrated part of him this year is he really has done a nice job of just like who has been practicing well together and let's get him in, in the game together and see how that works. Exactly. And maybe it's like good that he's so situationally aware that like, okay, we need defense. We need these guys. We need offense. We need these guys. They have this group. Let's counter with this group. Like that, that's, that's really impressive. That's been something that's kept them at 28 and 23. Yeah. And so we are now what now 10 days away from the trade deadline. So wow. Yeah. Tony, <laughs> Tony and I are going to do our, a big trade deadline show probably will come out on Monday. We'll, we'll probably back to the, to the Monday's shows eventually. But we're going to do a small one here real quick. But before we do that, we're going to do a quick ad. All right. As you know, one of the, you know, I guess premier sponsors of the Locked On Pages podcast has been Draft. So did you know your chances of winning on a draft site are 80% better than the salary cap draft site? So that's like DraftKing, uh, FanDuel, places like that. That's because Draft is basically you're playing between picking your players. Instead of playing in these algorithm leagues where guys have thousands of teams you're picking your own player so it's that easy and so because we're getting 10,000 monthly downloads tony and i wanted to sort of do a draft so i don't know if we're gonna do it today this is wednesday if listening to this podcast or later in the week but we want to do a draft uh a draft with all our i guess our fans is that cool with you tony yes i would love that so remember if you use the promo code lo pages you get a three dollars a three dollar bonus with your with the first ten dollars down but you should join. I guess we'll probably name it what locked on Pacers. That sound good to you? Yes. Well, okay. So you you did the you did the money part wrong. So they get a three dollar free entry into a draft where you can win real money, and you also get a money back guarantee up to a hundred dollars. Oh, so we'll have this. We'll do a we'll do a couple of leagues. We'll do a three dollar free money entry one. So anybody who signs up can get in our little draft league, and then we'll do a maybe a like a five or ten dollar one. So anybody who actually puts in some money can do it too. We'll do a couple of them. 
So we hit our we hit our statistic uh, that draft players are 80% more likely to win than on other salary cap sites. And I will testament to that. I started with $5 on draft. I'm up to 32 now. So <laughs> I just keep it in there and keep playing. And it's really fun. Um, the way that, that it is, is it's a snake draft instead of the, you know, pick your player at whatever value they have that day. And, you know, you can't predict what other people are going to do. But at the same time, you can pick smaller drafts. So it still seems like your team is stacked because you're only drafting. It's like two or three other people. So it's just really fun. So for any math about that, Tony's up 640% on draft, (laughs) 640% on draft. So remember to use the promo code LOPACERS when you do that. Uh, We'll probably tweet out our our, uh, draft thing that we're going to do, but we're going to do one for our our spe- you know, a special one for all our fans out there because we've reached 10,000 monthly downloads, which is awesome for us. Let me use the promo code LOPACERS when you download Draft. All right, Tony, let's get to some trade targets. Um, So I, w- I think what we'll do for our weekly one next week is is a guy at every single position that we would like. I, th- I think that, that'd be cool. But I think for this one, let's just do our two favorite players that you want them to trade for. Okay, I... Can I pose one question first before we get to that? Oh, yeah, sure. Because we, I want to talk about the the now-failed Nikola Mirotic-Omer Asik trade just because yes, I think it relates well to the Thad Young value. So it does. I think you agree with me. If the Pacers could get Omer Asik in a first-round pick for Thad Young, they would do that deal today. They would they would immediately trade because getting a first-round pick now is, is extremely valuable. It's hard it's, to get. They're not, it's harder they're not to get available. them now, yeah. They're not available because – uh, you probably heard the analogy. They're they're like draft picks are like cars. The minute they get drafted, they lose their value. The minute you buy a car and drive off the lot, it loses, loses its value immediately. But so what I wanted to ask you, basically, right, you agree with me? Is that's good value for Thad? So what is something that you would, you know, accept in a Thad Young trade? Would you accept taking on money for a first round pick? Do you want a player back? Like what's kind of, you know, because Thad's kind of the one guy that might be available from the Pacers. I don't know if he really is, but he might be. Take it taking on money is hard to say. Like that's a general term. I think I'd take on like with Ashik, how it works is he's 10 million next or 11 million next year. And then 3 million guaranteed 1920. So it's really only one more season of him being a double digit million dollar player. And that's the same as that. So if you pick up that first and in theory, 3 million of cap room next year, I think that's totally worth it uh, as a salary dump when you could just waive him the next year and only be paying him 3 million or less if you stretch him. So it's because it's only one extra season that I'm okay with it versus a guy like Kent Bazemore, Evan Turner, Myers Leonard, where it's two more years, then it becomes a little more risky where I'm like, eh, maybe not. Yeah, and if it it's become kind of clear too with the Pacers, they need a back another backup center. Because I know maybe just coincidence that Turner's missed like I think 14 games. Domas has missed another three or four. They've had to play a lot of Al Jefferson, which has been better than expected, but they could really use like, like a decent backup center. And at least I think Ashik is like He's better than Jefferson's, put it that way. So I think getting him, you, you can use him at least limitedly. That makes his value not completely worthless if you trade for him. Yeah, he's he might be as good as Jefferson this year, and it would suck next year to have to be paying them both uh, a decent amount of money. But you know, he's he's fine, and and, and that's fine. Again, it's fine. Like his contract is too much money for him, obviously. But a lot of people are in that boat, so whatever. But yeah, it's it's worth the pick, and they need that youthfulness to go with the timeline of the team. So I'd be all for that. Yeah. So what I'm saying basically is if that kind of trade was available, there might be a play that could take on that might be too expensive and you would be willing to pay from the free market, but because you have the first round pick and you can still kind of use them, it would be okay worth it. So 
Tony, what's one of the players you got that you want to trade for? You're, you can't say Avery Bradley because he's not really available anymore. I know. Uh, Avery Bradley was the guy. And Avery Bradley, so the rule now is he cannot be traded in a group trade. Like, he cannot be packaged with other players, but he can be traded away from the Clippers by himself to any non-Pistons team. So, in theory, he's still <laughs> technically available, but no. I don't I don't think the Clippers are looking to move him at all. They they need the cap space. They fucking never have cap space. Sorry, you're going to have to cut that out. Um, oh, man. God. <laughs> Dang it. Bleep over it so they can hear us be candid after we talk about it. But uh right. Avery Bradley is a guy that that I would have liked. So the three and D mold is what I'm looking for. Like if Kelly Oubre was available, I'd throw everything at him, but he's not. Um so my first guy I'll go with is Courtney Lee. All right. So why don't you ex- explain a little bit more about why you want Courtney Lee? Uh because Courtney Lee is six six. Uh, and he can play – that means he can play the three a little bit if asked to do so or if they do those lineups with Vic uh, at the one, which is, is small minutes but still it exists. They could play Lee next to him and it would work perfectly because Lee is really good. He's a really good shooter. He is a really good defender. He can dribble a little bit. He's a good cutter. You know, he's everything that they would want that off-ball guard forward guy to be. Okay, so then – what would they have to you think have to pay for Courtney Lee? That's kind of that also is a big what, issue. See, that's why trade deadline stuff is so hard because I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the Knicks are looking for for him. He has three years and thirty million left on his deal, this year included. So his money is fine. It's just what do the Knicks want back for him? Do they want someone young? Do they just want any asset they can get? Do they want to get off of money? You know, it's impossible to say. I would say his value is probably like a late first. But I don't know if I'd want to give up Elliot first for him, given just the timeline of the team. So I don't know what he would fetch. Yeah, it. I read. I think I read somewhere that Oklahoma City was the one team that could be in the race for him at a late first round pick. Because I'm saying if if no tomorrow is a first round pick, you might be able to get him kind of cheap. But I don't think Pacers want to give up their first round pick because even if it, Pacers are probably going to pick, let's say, I mean, at best like 23rd, at worst 18, let's say so, or maybe even like 16. So I don't think they want to give up their first round pick, and I'm not sure it's worth giving up your first round pick for a guy like that. No, well, like, okay, he's averaging 13 and a half points on 93% free throw shooting, 43% three point shooting. Like, this dude is, can score the freaking ball. And <laughs> he's super good on defense. So that's like the, that is like the perfect guy to me in that mold. He's also so 32 years old. Yes. So that's also kind of, a I understand thing. that trouble there, but he's also an Indian native. So I have a soft spot for him. Um, <laughs> you know, and maybe if you throw in like Al Jefferson's money next year, you go with the first and then you maybe swallow it. But, but th- that's a hard package to construct. And maybe, you know, if you think a first and Jefferson's too much, you get them to throw in like Willie Aaron on Gomez or something. I don't know what the package is, but something like that. A first and Jefferson just seems way too much. Just because I, don't, I, don't I, I just think a first round pick is way too much. I agree. Because the Pacers are what? They're building for three years from now, and Courtney is not going to be on the team in three years from now. He's just too old. Yeah, not, well, yeah right. And He'll be 35 in three years or 34. Exactly. Two year, yeah, he only has two years left on his deal after this. But, you know, that's the thing that makes that Ashik Miritich thing make sense is because Ashik's money being bad is why the first make is better value. But Jefferson, his money is bad, but it's only this year. So it's it's not nearly as bad, and the Pacers don't have like a – an albatross contract that makes trading away their first in a, in a trade like that worth it. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't, I don't think he moves the needle enough for the Patriots to make a move. I think the Patriots are willing to make right. a marginal move, but you know, do you have anybody out there that you think like a, a young guy, they could steal almost, you know, I think Stanley Johnson was kind of one of those guys people thought was kind of 
not fitting well in Detroit and could have been stolen for a first round late first round pick like the Spurs were rumored for him. Is there anybody out there like that? Just young. That's like not, you know, you get maybe the the protection of the second round pick, the other sides of it, something like that, something cheaper, but like looking towards the future. No, and that they could get with the reverse protected second rounder would be good. That's young. Um, not good, but maybe he's bad, but maybe you take a flyer on him kind of thing. Mario Hazonia, maybe. But that's like the only guy I could think of who's in that age that's even would be available for something like that. Yeah, I mean, the only guy I not that he's young, but I thought it might could you could get now and could be a future piece depending on how much you had to pay him was I, I kind of like Tyreek Evans in some sense, but I think he's too expensive to get. He, he would yeah, he would take more than that pick. Yeah, he would take more than a first round pick, depending. I mean, it depends. No, no, no. He'd take more than a second round pick. Oh, yeah, he would take a first round pick, but yeah. I wonder if you're willing to take on a bad contract from Memphis. Is that could you get him? And if Memphis, you know, let's I mean, we don't know how big the trade market is for him and how big it, it will be. And you know, there have been rumors it's gonna be a softer trade deadline. I mean, Blake Griffin already happened, so I guess it's no longer <laughs> soft. But so I, I wonder if you wait really close, like to the is it a four o'clock deadline still on February eighth? Uh, 5 p.m. Eastern. 5 p.m. They moved an hour. Or, no, no, no. Wait. Yeah, it was four last year. You're right. It was I think. four last year. Yeah. So let's say they wait to like 345 and no team has really made a good deal for Tyreek. Nobody's offered a first round pick, let's say. Maybe they could sneak in with like a, that second round protected with taking on a bad contract and getting away from expiring, something like well, that. Remember last year? Remember last year the Suns were trying to trade PJ Tucker and they wanted a first for him and no one would give it up. No one would give it up. And then on the stroke of the trade deadline midnight, the Raptors gave away two seconds and they said, fine. So maybe something like that, but you only are getting one year of Tyreek Evans. So you gotta be well, careful. Well, you would have to re-sign him, which would be a bit. He'd be. I don't know how expensive he would be on the open market because there aren't a ton of team with a lot of cap space, and you could maybe. I, don't, I mean, what do you think his his when he hits free agent? What do you think he makes? He'd probably be an MLE guy, which is going to be about eight and a half million next year. Okay, so like maybe they could afford it. I don't have a. I don't think they wouldn't be able to afford it. It's just it would stink that you couldn't use bird rights or anything. Yeah, but. You know, maybe he comes here for a playoff run and he's sort of like, oh, I want to be in Indiana because, I don't know, something with the way the team is going. I mean, there is that that chance. I mean, and if you're really all you're doing is getting up like a second round pick or two second rounders, that's probably worth it. You're you're offering, you know, two picks that you mostly don't turn to anybody in the long run and you're taking a flyer on a guy. You're not like, you're, you know, a first round pick I understand is really valuable. Second round picks are not worth that much. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see what EK turns out to be, but uh yeah, that's a, that's a fair point, and who knows what Memphis is looking for? And you know, you have to send out a little bit of money, like barely anything. But oh, actually, the Pacers could take an Evans. Never mind. Uh, never mind. I take that back. Yeah, they could figure it out. I mean, they have yeah. all the expirings, and I don't they know. They have enough space to take him in. I liked Nate's idea of like just taking in like Kyle Singler's crappy money and getting a pick too. But is Sing- Singler still plays for like, Oklahoma City? Yeah, so I don't think they make, do you think they make another trade with Oklahoma City? Like, is that a possibility? Even I think Oklahoma <laughs> City's feeling kind of burned maybe right now. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. I don't know. Until Paul George resigns there, they won't feel burned anymore. But uh, uh, all right, your first guy. Well, that was my first guy, Tyreek Evans. Oh, oh, well, that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, I think he would definitely help for so. I think he could be, he's he's young enough where in the future he could be a good piece. Like, yeah, and we've seen him dominate in Sacramento before. So, yeah. Speaking of Sacramento, that is where my second guy is. Oh, no, you're not going to say it, are you? Oh, no, I'm not going to say George Hill, don't worry. Oh, okay, all right. Well, I would like I would like George Hill. George Hill would be awesome, but I don't want to trade for George Hill. Okay. Uh, my second guy is the apparently available Scalabissier. I heard that. I heard he was available. They are yeah. trying to open a roster spot. The, the Well, the Brian Windhorst reported this, the most in-tune Cavs ESPN guy, so 
very uh very reliable source here that you know they want to do Shumpert and Fry for George Hill, the Cavs do. And the only problem is that the Kings have 15 guys under contract, so they would go they'd have too many players. So they want to trade it was Scal and someone else. I think Malachi Richardson, one of those guys, so they could open Former up. Former Syracuse player. Former Syracuse player. That's right. Malachi Richardson. And even Malachi, like if they could get either of those two guys for, you know, next to nothing, I would do it because they they're both and they're just their second season, I believe. Malachi might be in his third. But uh, and the, if you can get him for close to nothing and get a young guy on a rookie deal, I'm all for it. And Scal, I think, has a ton of potential. Uh, Malachi is also in his second season. He is okay. my age exactly, actually. He was a freshman my freshman year at Syracuse. Um, you know, I yeah, I think those. that's what I was kind of talking about before, where is there any young guys you could take a flyer on for pretty cheap? I and mean, that'd be two of those guys you, you could easily do that on. I don't know if they really mean much or do anything long-term, but – I'd rather have Malachi just because I think they don't need as many forward center guys. They yeah, the wing, the wing would be nice for Malachi. Either of those guys, I didn't even think about Malachi. I just was going to answer Scal, and then I realized that he would actually be okay. <laughs> well, the thing with Scal is, I mean, I'm just thinking back to his day when he was the like the number one overall guy out of college, right? Wasn't he the number one recruit in two or three classes yeah. ago? So yeah. maybe I think he, maybe I think he has more potential then. I don't know. I mean, he clearly, I don't know. He didn't really get either of them for just a second. I'm all for it, but I don't. Yeah. Have- you might not even have to do that, right? They might just well, they release him. You can't, so you have to give up a second to get him before they release him. Yeah, exactly. You could probably get him for the other side of the protection on the Brooklyn pick. So yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I I think that's fine. That's other young guys take a flyer on. Maybe I mean, players have had a lot of success turning in sort of young guys that people don't expect. I mean, they did with Robinson. They sort of turned his mm-hmm. his career around a little bit, and they have good success with with big guys. I mean, they have had a history of turning out pretty good power forwards and centers in this NBA. So. So that's my second guy. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good one. Um, so my second one, I didn't really have a guy. I only really wrote down one because I wrote down uh, Tyler Gavins. But it's, I think I'm out on the Kemba trade. I don't think they should. I'm out. Good. Good for you. Good job. I, Welcome. I just wanted to tell you that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I, I don't with especially with Marvin Williams now hurt. You know that game's hard, and that's one guy you went back. Um, you know. I thought maybe they could try to acquire a guy like Cody Zeller, but he's probably too expensive right now to matter. I mean, you, in like the Kemba trade, just because I think bring Zeller back with all the people would be kind of interesting. You kind of bring, <laughs> you bring in an all IU team, but no, I I think I'm out on Kemba just because I I think he costs too much to bring in, and I don't think he moves the needle enough to compete. And I think we've noticed it now. I mean, the Blake trade, I've kind of come around to the this is going to be a weird NBA where players going to get. The star players are gonna get traded a lot more, I think now, just because I think the Warriors because threw everybody. The Warriors, yep. Because of the Warriors, I think players think they can't win where they're at, and they want to win. And I mean, they Dame Lillard might become available soon. Uh, Wall, I mean, Wall's super expensive, so who knows? But Wall might become available. I mean, there's just a lot of teams that are like, we can't compete. Let's just go back five years. I mean, the Pacers are one of those few teams that say we don't care if we win the championship. We just want to be competitive every year. So they'd be willing to take on one of those those guys, and maybe you can accumulate enough of them to actually like surprise us. I mean, you know catch a team on the back end let's say so let's say three years from now they're able to acquire another guy and the Warriors are on the back end and LeBron is on the back of his career and they can the stars align and somehow they can push their way to, to a championship kind of like the Pistons did where there were just not a star player in the league anymore and weird things were happening so that's kind of their best shot at winning a championship and I don't think Kemba does that right now I think if this was two years later I would say Kemba trade would be worth it but right now it's not there we go welcome to my side of this but but yeah, I, that's why I always said it. only if they're getting supreme value for him should they do it. But yeah, I there's a like I don't know. Collison's been so like underrated, and I just don't see a point of 
trading for a better point guard than him. He's just like exactly what they need on offense. So, yeah, I don't know how sustainable long term Carlson is, but maybe for one more year, he's easily. Yeah, I, he's been so. well worth his money, so they might just keep him. <laughs> oh, I I think right now he's going to get picked up. I think Bojan's not going to get picked up because I would agree with that. We'll talk about that later, but yeah, I yeah. Well, speaking of Hornets, the Pacers play have three games coming up. Hornets are one of them twice in one week. Weird schedule, but we're going to preview the upcoming week. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, like I said before, the Pacers have three games coming up this week. The first one is against the Grizzlies on Wednesday. That's today, we're listening to this podcast. We're recording this on a Tuesday. The next one is Friday against the Hornets. Then it's a Saturday match against the 76ers. Uh, we'll probably do a short Hornets preview just because we just the Pacers just played them. But we'll start with the Grizzlies. Um so the, the great hang on. Oh, the give the numbers. Go go the numbers, my bad. Well, I have the numbers, but I wanted to say something that I found interesting. Remember the first time they played the Grizzlies in Memphis? We were like, man, the Grizzlies are good. Like, this will be a tough game. They're bad. <laughs> oh, they are really bad. I was gonna say they're they're really bad because one, Mike Conley's out, Chandler Parsons out, Jamichael Green's out. So those are like those were three of their like I think five highest scores that I'm looking at looking at their numbers. So uh Evans is probably gonna play play, but he did get hurt. So the it says online he's available to play, so he probably will, but he did get hurt. All right, all right. So on their B-Ball Ref injury report page, Dylan Brooks, knee injury, undetermined if he will play against the Pacers. Mike Conley, won't play. James Ennis, sideline, unknown if he will play against the Pacers. Tyreek Evans, arm injury, unknown if he will play against the Pacers. Jermichael Green, ankle injury, needs a week to recover. Ben McLemore, seating out games with a right knee, unclear if he will play against the Pacers. Chandler Parsons, knee injury, unknown if he will play against the Pacers. Timeline yet to be established. That is seven guys who are – seven of their best 10 players that might not play. So Evans is available. They said that they updated oh, that officially? today. Okay. I just saw that update on B-Ball ref. So okay. he is going to, that's why I was iffy on him, but yeah. So yeah, that's, that's huge. <laughs> I mean, this team, yeah. this team is just not good. Um, They're just not they're, a very good team. They're already not good. Even when they're a full strength. I mean, I, I mean, well, Conley, obviously, but I meant like Conley's been out since November. So I, I'm looking at them in a different scope, but there are no Conley team, even when they have everybody else, they've been bad. And they just can't do anything. They have an interim head coach. So if they're missing even more guys, I mean, whew, they are going to be a, a, a ghost of a team. You want to do the numbers real quick? Oh, yes. I got too excited about the injuries. Um, they are 30th in pace, 20th in defense, and 22nd in offense. Yikes. Yeah, so <laughs> I think they were 29th in pace last time the Pacers played them. But crazy because they played a game. It was 116-113, so it had to be one of the faster pace games. Well, it was an overtime game, right? Remember? Yeah. yeah. So no, 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 it was not. No, no, it wasn't. But another weird thing, too, is it, it, it this game, the last time I remember was the last time Turner was sort of hurt. He got hurt and came back, I think, three or four games before then. So it's kind of in that same kind of time where Turner might not be fully integrated back into the team like he was last time they played Memphis, which is a weird coincidence. I don't really know if it affects that much, but just weird to think about. And I don't know, Memphis is... Their best player is Tyreek Evans, probably been right now. Um, Marcus all no, like Marcus the best player, but Evans has been playing the best as right, on their right, team. Right. He's been killing it. Um, you know, you're in love with James Ennis, which is a possible trade target. Love James Ennis. So, we'll talk about him on Monday. <laughs> honestly, this game might just be good scouting. Uh, I want to interject for a second. What do you think when Nate said James Ennis? Did you laugh at all? 
uh, a little bit. I was like, oh, of course he did. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm sitting because I, I think you said, oh, I talked about my co-host Adam. Like, of course he did. He nonstop talks about James Ennis. Like, it's like I'm into the second coming of some. Um, I couldn't believe it. And when when someone smarter than me said it, I was like, yes, we need James Ennis now. Yeah, he looks, he's gonna be the second coming of Reggie Miller on this team, right? That's anyway, anyway, um, yeah, with with Memphis and, and Ennis on the wing. You know, he's been one of their brighter spots. He might not even play. So, like, their wings might end. Their wings in this game, if they if they don't have Brooks or Evans, or excuse me, Brooks or Ennis or Parsons, I mean, their wings is like Tyreek Evans and Wayne Selden. And I can't, I didn't even have another one. Like, they might have to play Andrew Harrison at the two. It's going to be rough. Yeah. Um, you would, you know, with the the so far Boeing's been laying, laying eggs, so it might not be actually it might be more competitive <laughs> than you think on the wing a little bit. Um no, so last time the Patriots played them, the basically the best player of the pitch was, was uh Darren Collins. He had 30 points. I think yeah, it was the best game of the season by far. Uh he won he's he was really good getting the rim and getting fouled getting the line. 12, 12 or 13 from the free throw line. He played like 41 minutes. What's a, a lot for a guy like him? But it's just interesting to see because you know, we thought the Grizzlies and Patriots were certain teams at the 15 game mark when they played. And now they're both totally different teams than what we thought. So I'm hoping this game should be a blow up, but who knows, but it's just interesting to see that the fact that we'll probably see Turner start, but I think Sabonis fits better to trying to guard Gasol, but I don't think it'll be that close of a game. I don't either. Um, Dan Burke had some nice things to say about Gasol today. And I think every coach would a big guy like that who can shoot and pass is just really good, but his defense and rebounding have taken, uh, well, I guess his rebounding's been all right, but his defense has taken such a huge step back this year that that he's been just hard, harder to have on the court. I think the Grizzlies actually have a better net rating with him off the court than on, which is really interesting. Uh, so if if Gasol doesn't even help them, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what their plan is going to be. Like, what? How? How do they beat the Pacers if Gasol doesn't have a good game? They just can't. Yeah, I mean, they're almost hoping the Pacers have a one of 18 3 point shooting game. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean. That's sometimes it's that easy. I mean, it's a make or miss league, right? But yeah, uh, I think we hit. I mean, my X factor is Darren Collison. I think we hit butchers already. So my X factor was Darren Collison. Do you have a different different X factor in this game? Um, no. The Pacers shot twelve of twenty four from three the first time they played, which is really nice. Uh, and and Collison is a good one because he's a good shooter. And without uh, Conley, you know, he's just the opportunity is there for him to have a good game and carry them to the win. Also, you can't underrate Lance revenge game. <laughs> they, they did talk about that today too. He uh, Lance was just never really healthy in Memphis when he had his ten day there. But yeah, yeah it wasn't but, really their fault. They cut him. He just couldn't. Yeah. Right. Court. No, but, no team wanted him. So look what they could have had. I hope he plays like that. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So the, the minutes distribution in this game was weird. Darren Costa played forty one minutes, and it's yeah, not. That was weird. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, no, that's the most he's probably played this season. I mean, it was. Yeah. You'll probably see more of Joe Young, though. He, didn't, he did not play at all last time, so we'll see on no. him. And, and there's no Dan Wilkins, who was also a, D, a DNP that game. But let's do scores at the end, if you're cool with yep. that. Yep. So let's move on to the Hornets, who they play on Friday. We'll do a quick touch-up on this one. They played them Monday. So they won 105-96 on Monday. Close game for three quarters. Then blew them out. Kind of ran away in the fourth quarter with great defense. Um, Cody Zeller could return for this game. He didn't play Monday, but he could be playing my guess is Marvin Williams is probably going to be out. He hurt his ankle on Monday. It looked bad. Seemed pretty severe. Yeah. Um, actually, I thought it was kind of interesting how Al Jefferson actually went out to him when he's walking off the court. They go through this that Pacer tunnel, they go to the um, the medical staff, and Jefferson kind of gave him a pat on the back and was like, "Because they're probably former teammates." My guess. Former Hornet. Yep. Yep. So that was kind of just a cool, like a nice little moment. But 
uh, from the last game, I think the best player was Thad Young for the Pacers, and he's yep. been playing really well, really well recently. He's kind of proven me wrong. Obviously, I said I thought that Young should like start getting traded. You know, he's been playing bad defense, whatever, but he's played awesome for now. I think going on like a five or six game stretch. So he shot eight of twelve. I think he shot ten of thirteen two games before that. I mean, he's been really good recently. So I thought he played really well. I think he's probably my X factor for the game. I don't know who my X factor is. By the way, let's get this over with. I didn't get to do this the first time they played. The Hornets are ninth in pace, 18th in offense, ninth in defense, which those aren't actually bad numbers for their record of 2029. They're the unluckiest team in the NBA. They're expected win loss given their point differential is 24 and 25, and they're four games worse than that. So don't look at their 20 and 29 and just assume that they're they're pretty bad. They're like uh they're basically a 50-50 game team but is this in charlotte i don't actually know that it is because they play Charlotte the last two times that's right that's what again so this uh it could be a tougher game than it like looks on paper but without marvin williams that changes everything i mean it was a really tough game on monday i mean it was it was back and it was and it was back and forth it was you know one team went up five and immediately the other team tied it up like it was a it was a I thought it was going to come to the end, and then just kind of just slowly pulled away, and then they had a little more energy at the end. It seemed like they had more, or maybe they were playing for more. Hornets might kind of feel like they're at the stage where they're like they know they're not going to be together next year, and they're kind of they know they're not a playoff team, and they're sort of in this limbo. And it's it, it definitely hurts teams when they're not like that because it screws up the chemistry and whatnot. But Howard played well, and I think he can play well again too. So my my thing with the Hornets, and I you noticed it in uh, in their game Monday, is that. Their top seven guys, so their starters and then Lamb and Kaminsky are all pretty good. But the other three guys they play, Michael Carter-Williams, Johnny O'Brien, and Travion Graham. I mean, Graham's pretty good on defense, but those guys just are not difference makers at all. And when they're in the game, the Hornets really struggle. All of them were minus five or worse. So that's going to be the key to me again is that bench play because we were joking in our eight points, nine seconds group chat. Like they had like nine reserve points in the, the third quarter or something embarrassingly low. So, you know, it's going to be – it's going to be interesting to see if the if their bench struggles like that again. I think that's how the Pacers stay in the game. Yeah, Pacers were basically beat by the three-headed monster of Batum, Walker, and Howard. The was supposed to be their kind of yeah. big three, but didn't really turn out to be it. But Batum's best game of the year, probably. He was killing it from three. Yeah, I mean, he. It's good to see him kind of get back because yeah, I mean, I agree. contract is terrible if he can't play. But he had that elbow surgery earlier in the year, so it's good to see him getting a little better. But yeah, uh, I say butcher wise, it's probably gonna be Kemba, or Kemba, Howard, right? Kemba, or Howard. <laughs> I I would pick Kemba, but Howard does have that play style of guys that kill the Pacers, the the really good rebounders who don't leave the anchoring around the basket. Dwight, Andre Drummond, those guys. And he really killed Miles Turner at times. It seemed like. I mean, I know we talked about that play where Turner set up him for the for Howard to get blocked, but a lot of times he put Turner on. He would just back up, back down Turner. But Howard's lack of defense killed him because he just seemed like he doesn't care and didn't. He always seemed like that way. He doesn't care about stepping up to guard Turner. No, and they, they do that on purpose almost because they want him back to get bored so they don't give up transition and putbacks and things like that. But, yeah, the lobs were dangerous, and I want them to foul him more next time. I know he was 4 or 5 from the line, but he's only shooting 55% on the air. So, you know, maybe maybe make it a little harder for him to finish, but we'll see. Yeah, something crazy, too. They lost the rebounding battle. I know that's a big thing for you. They lost oh, it by two wow. rebounds. They still won this game pretty easily, I thought. That's rare. They They very rarely do that. It, it helps that, like I said, they shot 64% from two. And the fact yeah. that Turner, Turner shot eight of 11 was huge because the fact that in four or six from three, I mean, every time he got the ball, it seemed like it went in. He was just, I mean, he, he said after the game too, it's when jump shooters are open, it's too, it's like too easy. Like, it's too, like he was basically like, it was like shooting in an open gym. He's too easy. He's just sitting out there. Nobody was trying to even try to guard him. So he got to get a full like cock in his shot and everything. 
Exactly. And they'll, I'm sure they'll look to do that again. So, yeah. Um, like well, I said, we're, you, know, you know what Frank Kaminsky's offensive rating was in this, in the first game? No, but his plus minus was pretty, eh, okay. His offensive rating was 43. Ooh, he was yeah. one of seven and oh for zero from three. Yikes. Yikes. Remember, they took him over Justice Winslow or over <laughs> some kind of combination of draft picks that would have been like a broken number one. So nice job, Michael Jordan. You really did a Hey Prime members, you can listen to this locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.